this week on the Back Table Podcast. You brought up like three different points that I that I want to touch on. You know, one is you have to spend a certain amount of time there. That is that's big. I mean, I, same thing. Like after after like a couple months of my job, I'm like this this isn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like right. I thought it was going to I thought it was going to be much more glamorous. And so you know, I started looking very early on, but you know it it took a while until I felt like I really got a good handle on it. And in fact, when when I left my old group, you know, I, I talked to a lot of the guys about it. Like, you know, I've, I've got a lot of good friends in that group. And, and one of the guys that I really respected, who is, he's probably, you know, in his 50s, 60s, he told me, you know, he's like, look, give it at least a year with your new job. Don't leave, you know, anytime before then. He's like, I think it takes at least a year until you really know what it's like. And, and I agree with that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast, your source for all things endovascular and otherwise minimally invasive. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. The New England Journal of Medicine has published big news for AV fistula patients. Learn more about the IMPACT AV access trial to see how the IMPACT AV drug coated balloon can affect reintervention rates for patients with kidney disease. Visit Medtronic.com slash AVDCB for more information. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to welcome our guest today, a good friend and partner in crime, Dr. Michael Barazza. Michael, welcome. Hey, Rand. Fun to be back on the podcast, and I'm on a lot, but doing this with video today is exciting. Yes, and with our new mics. Yes. You sound great. So what are we talking about today? So today... I thought it would be a great idea. I actually got this idea from an article in the Wall Street Journal. It was out a couple of months ago, and it was entitled, When That First Job Isn't a Good Fit. Now, in the Wall Street Journal, it was more focused on, you know, other types of jobs. Not It wasn't physician-focused, but, you know, you and I have gone through, you know, first jobs that, that didn't work out, and, and I thought it would be good to have you on and kind of talk through some of our stories, as well as maybe some stories that we've heard around the block with some, you know, friends and colleagues that also had first jobs that didn't work out. And really the, the key thing is letting those people know who are either in training now looking for new jobs and, or people who may not be in a great job at present, letting them know that, you know, it's your first job, but it doesn't have to be your forever job. Yeah. I actually read an interesting stat recently. It was the percentage of, of, I don't know if it was just radiologists or physicians who uh, stay at their first job for their whole career. And I think it was like, I want to say it was like 20%. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, yeah. just seeing the the migration and, you know, it it's hard though, because you don't know that coming out of training, right? You're coming out of training and you're thinking, I want to be in a certain location. I want to make a certain amount of money. I want to be, or I want to be an academic guy and be all about research. You have no idea what you're about to get into. You're just excited about finishing your, your training and, and finally, you know, getting to it, but it's, it's stressful, right? From, from the interview to the contract, to moving, you know, significant others being involved. And so I wanted to start off with maybe, and we'll kind of get into some key points, but let's start off with the story and let me, you know, tell us how you found your first job out of training and then kind of how that unfolded. Yeah, you know, a lot to unpack here for sure. And, and you know, one thing I wanted to say is, you know, I, I think you brought up a good point that, you know, most people going into their first job don't realize that, you know, it there's a high likelihood that it's not going to be a job that they're in forever. Things are going to change. 
And I think one thing that really stands out for me is that uh, of how extraordinarily naive I was when I was first looking at jobs and, and what I expected. And, and a big part of that is not really having any idea what I should have been looking for in general, because you kind of learn that as you go. But my story is kind of unique because, you know, I, I started looking for jobs around the third year of radiology residency. I, you know, I, uh, I was pretty proactive and I knew that I wanted to be in one of a few areas. You know, we, I trained, I was doing my residency in Nashville and, you know, my wife and I are both from Louisiana. And so I really started by focusing on Nashville and New Orleans. And I didn't really have any contacts there in the you know, radiology market outside of my training program. So I really just started with just researching online and, and, you know, asking a few people, like, what are the practices in town that I would, you know, that I should be shooting for? And once I found that out, I just sent like a cold call email to a couple of people in these practices and was like, hey, look, I'm going to be coming out in a few years and be doing uh, IR and this is an area I want to be. And one of the things that really surprised me, Aaron, is how receptive those people were, like, you know. Nobody was like, piss off guy. Like, you know, well, we'll find somebody when we need him. Like e each group I reached out to was like, hey, you know, why don't you come in and talk to us and, and, and see? So I ended up getting like two job offers from that, just reaching out to people like that. And they were good jobs. But I ended up taking a job when I was a fourth year resident before I'd even gone to fellowship. Um, a group in town in Nashville hired a few people out of my training program that were ahead of me. But they also offered me a job with the idea that I would just come back after fellowship. And so I left for fellowship with, with a contract in hand and a plan to move back after a year. Yeah, that is unique. I mean, it's, I don't, you don't hear about that very often. And so since you kind of already had that set up and you went to fellowship, did you entertain, you know, the idea of maybe another job? Did you feel like, you know, you were locked in? I mean, I imagine you're probably seeing your co-fellows interviewing and they're coming back with stories about other jobs that make you want to maybe explore other options? No, not at first. <laughs> so, uh, it was actually really, it, it was really, I, I don't want to say reassuring, but it was nice. Like not having that pressure going off to fellowship. And it's like, where the hell am I going to work? Like I knew what I was doing and it was back in Nashville, which is where I wanted to be. What was nice is that I was able to, you know, kind of research the practice and see if there was anything that they were doing on a routine basis that I wouldn't cover in training so that I could spend time getting those skills. And so one, you know, example of that was vertebral augmentation, which I, you know, made efforts to learn on my own, but no, I, I did end up looking for more jobs. And the reason being that there was a big change in my practice before I joined it. When I joined my practice, I thought it was, you know, it, and it, it looked like, it looked like it was gonna be a job you start and you never leave. And I was, I was really excited about that. And then and I got to big news before uh, a few months before I finished fellowship that like so many other groups in uh, the U S right now, the group had sold to uh, a corporate entity and I didn't know what that meant, but I was so naive that I didn't know that that was a common thing. I'd actually heard about it from one of the other guys that joined around when I did. And so at that time, I didn't have a whole lot of time before my job was going to start. I looked at a few different options, really diverse options, academics, OBL, other private practices. And ultimately what I decided was, you know, I didn't know what, I mean, I did all the research I could, but really I didn't know what the future was going to hold. And I decided to just kind of take a more optimistic approach and went ahead and, and just started in my practice as planned. 
Yeah. And so there, there obviously there tends to be a lot of factors that can, you know, be attractive for docs. You, you stated geographic, like you wanted to be either in Nashville or New Orleans. Those were two cities that you were targeting. So that's one key thing, you know, you know, significant others, we have to, okay, you know, my wife's a physician, so that you have to balance that, you know, other, other careers that you have to balance. And then what, in terms of like partnership track, can you talk a little bit about that? You said that your the, the group that you had signed up with kind of tr changed significantly because they sold out to a national group. Did that change your partnership track? Yeah, it did. So again, it's another thing I was naive about. I didn't know what a partnership track was until the day that I was offered a contract. And I, I really thought that you just started a job and you, you, you know, have the, the same agreements and salary as everybody else in your field. And so, you know, I learned what a partnership track was. My original one was for three years, you know, with, for those of you who don't understand partnership tracks yet, you will. And you, you generally, it, how, how would you describe it, Aaron? I mean, it, it's basically like a, so yeah, you have ownership, right? I mean, you know, you start out as uh, an employee. It's rare to to jump right into a a company and ha and be a partner. And so the track is meant to make sure that you're a good fit, that they're a good fit. The most commonly, the most common partnership track that I hear about is a three year partnership track, which gives you know three years to vet one another out and make sure that like it is a good fit before you get some ownership because that's a that's a big commitment for them as well as for you because a lot of times a partnership involves a buy-in but it's a big commitment and so they don't want to offer partnership to just anybody they want to make sure it's a good fit before you're you're an owner and you're a partner yeah. of the company i think it's a good way of putting it and also you know once you are a partner it's hard to get rid of you and so you yeah, kind of gotta make too. sure that the, you know on both sides it's the right fit and so my original, and I've seen a lot of different partnership tracks. I've seen them range from one year to five years with, you know, a pretty wide range in salary. But, you know, that's the other thing is salary is going to be a little bit lower than what the partners are making. And it's usually very reasonable. And my original one was reasonable, but I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, Aaron, because that was one of the concessions that I made. It's like, look, if, if this is changing and it, it's not really a true quote unquote partnership anymore, I'm not going to be willing to do a full long partnership track. You know, I, I, I felt like I was a, a good fit for them and I felt like I was bringing a lot as an interventionalist. And so I felt like I did have a little bit of bargaining power. And so I said, I'm not going to do three years anymore. And, and I was able to get that cut down a bit. Gotcha. And, and two other, you know, big things that we don't really learn about in training at all. I didn't, I didn't, I don't even think I heard the word non-compete until I started interviewing, you know, non-competes are something that you you don't learn about until you sign those contracts, but I do feel like trainees should learn about because you know you can get you know you you can really get tricked into being stuck some you know someplace. And if you want to leave that town, or if you want to leave that job, you basically have to leave that town, and that's not always fair. Can you talk a little bit about the non compete? I was super relaxed and easy. Like they do. The group that I was joining was a, a lot of really like good, reasonable people that I really liked working with. And I'll get into that later about why that was a challenge leaving. But, you know, they, it was a good group and uh, they did not have a really aggressive non-compete. Basically, their only rule was like, 
if you leave, you can't work in the same hospitals as us for like two years, meaning like I couldn't leave and then come back in and be their competitor at their hospital, but it would not have kept me from joining another group in town or starting something on my own as long as it wasn't in their facilities. What was yeah. yours like? Mine, my non-compete was pretty significant. And I mean, there's a reason for that. And I don't fault my first, you know, I'm talking about my first job. It was a very large group, one of two very large groups here in, in Texas that are some of the biggest radiology groups in the country. And yeah. be, the reason they have such a strict non-compete is because they're constantly fighting for contracts because of their, their in-town competitor. And so, you know, I, I think even when I started, I got credentialed at 15 hospitals Wow! and, you know, covering a lot of the DFW area. And so they're like, you know, I, I forget what it was. It might've been at the time, five miles from each facility was non-compete, but there was, you know, sort of defined landmarks where you could, you could still safely escape and like kind of practice in a certain area in town. And and that's what, and eventually what I ended up doing. And we'll get to that story later, but yeah, it's it just, I think a lot of it depends on the size of the group, how big yeah. of a, how big of an area they're covering, you know, like for example, academic centers, you know, here in Dallas, UT Southwestern has a really large footprint and that non-compete can be a, a bit, you know, overbearing as from, yeah. from what I've heard. So, you know, it just depends on the size of the, the group and or the hospital system that you're joining, I think. So how about call responsibilities to talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Was that something that you jumped into that was more than what you were used to at in training or less? It was different, you know, in training, we would, our, our call was different. I mean, you would be at, when I was at Penn, you would be the, the consult person all day and you'd field all the inpatient consults. And it was a lot. I mean, the, it was hard work. You saw everybody. And then at night you, you know, took traditional call, but it was a day at a time. I took probably more call with my first job, but it was not anything out of the ordinary. I mean, it was a big group, as you know, with, you know, a huge group like your first one. That's a lot of people in the call pool. So you may not be on call as frequently. Now, I don't know what it's like for you. Like for me, also covering a lot of hospitals, you know, I covered, I think maybe eight hospitals on call per night. It really wasn't any busier than I had been as a fellow because when I was getting called in, it was primarily two hospitals. So I did not find the, the call that bad. It, it wasn't a factor for me in, in moving. Yeah. Mine wasn't that bad either. I mean, it was, every, it was, you know, one week a month, whereas as a trainee, I think it was, you know, every th on <laughs> every three weeks, cause it's just Robbie and I, and then the residents, you know, right. so that was a little bit better. And then you, there was the op, the nice thing about my first group was there was a whole market for, for call where yeah, I forgot guys, that. yeah, some of the older guys in the group didn't want to take as much call. So they would, you know, basically sell it and you could, you could make some, a decent amount of extra money. And I was doing that a decent, a good amount in the first few years. So, you know, that, that's definitely a pro in terms of a, you know, for a big group like that is there's, there are ways to make extra money by taking people's call yeah. either on the diagnostic side or the IR side. So, so anyway, so you, you kind of talked about a lot of the reasons why you, you chose that job and, you know, it seemed like it was a pretty good job. Seemed, seemed like uh, it was working out for you. So what, what caused it to you to want to leave? Well, I'll start by saying, you know, the main factor for me in, in taking this job was location. You know, we loved Nashville, still do, and it's a great place to raise kids. And so 
I was able to, I mean, that, that was really my major focus when I was looking at job was location. And so, you know, because I was in that location and everything else outside of work was, was so good. It, it took me a lot longer to really, to decide that I, you know, to reach that, you know, that straw that broke the camel's back. And, you know, I mean, I was there for three and a half years and it was a, it was a combination of things for me, but a lot, what a lot of it boiled down to is that I, I didn't feel like I was able to do the quality of work that I was trained to do in IR. And, and that was for a lot of reasons. One is that because you know, we covered so many sites, I was, I was spread pretty thin and it was really kind of hard to grow something at any one of those individual sites. If I may not be back there for a couple of weeks, I, I really felt like I needed to, you know, have one spot that I could really focus on it. And that was a challenge there. You know, the traveling to a lot of different sites, you know, didn't help because it probably six of them, we didn't really do like real IR. Uh, and, and that's not something that I was okay with doing with, you know, long-term. Another thing is, you know, that with these, these corporate owned groups, you, you don't really know what the future is going to hold. And that was a big thing for me. My kids were young and it's like, you know, I, I'm okay right now, but I don't know what this is going to look like in 10 years. And, you know, I was really nervous about the fact uh, that, you know, could blow up at, you know, any point and, you know, six years down the road, my kids are settled. I, I didn't want to have to, to move like quickly like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and those were, you know, a couple of the, the major things for me. I don't know. I mean, the, the lots of little things as well, but those are the big ones. And, and tell, tell the audience, well, just real quick, tell the audience where you end up, you know, moving to. So I ended up moving to Louisiana, which is, is where I grew up. I did not actually I wasn't planning to move. Like I, I was actually kind of, I'd, I'd reached a, a point where I was like, okay with what I was doing. And I kind of stumbled across my job, but I had looked at a lot of different jobs before, as you know, Aaron, I mean, I'd, I'd looked at, you know, academic jobs. I'd looked at private practice jobs. I'd looked, I'd even looked at joining a, a surgery group that had a couple IRs on staff, looked at OBLs, looked at all these different things that I never found anything that I was ready to really pull the trigger on for, for a handful of reasons, you know, like either location, you know, it, it doesn't get much better than Nashville salary. You know, I didn't want to start over on a partnership track after being, you know, on a, you know, quote unquote partner salary for a couple of years. And, and those were big things. And so, you know, the, the job I found, one of the things that I really liked about it, it was, you know, it's a good size group for me. It was like, you know, small to medium size group that was, it was self-owned, you know, not, a, not a corporate entity. But, you know, they did a lot of good work. I was going to get to learn some new stuff like stroke, but it also, you know, was a job where it was very clear that I could grow things that I wanted to do. I would have support to do that, you know, with my own clinic, but also like if, you know, for example, if I wasn't technically on like an IR day, I could schedule cases those days if I want. So basically the idea is that how much, uh, how much IR I do and the, and the quality of the work I do really falls on me. If I can build it, you know, I have the support to do it. You know, it takes a lot to come to that conclusion that, you know, when something is just not right and you got to make a move and then we also have to plan on, okay, what is that move? And that takes a lot of time and energy, right? You know, for those out there who might be right now currently in a job that they're, they're just not that psyched about, you know, I do want to go over some things that, that are, you know, key pointers in terms of if you if you feel like there's a better job out there for you, you know, maybe first thing to do is identify the source of your frustration and really figuring out, you know, what it is that you're not. And it sounds like you did that, right? You, you knew that like you had all these skill sets that you had, you had trained, that you had learned 
at Penn and you wanted to use them and you just didn't feel like you were able to fulfill that in that, in that first right. job. Right. And right. so you, you did a good job of like identifying the source of frustration and being like, okay, next step, I got to find a place where I can do this, where I'm going to feel more satisfaction. And so for me, I'm just going to take a step back. I knew what my source of frustration was at first. I didn't, uh, I, I had to figure it out. I had to do some like soul searching, self-reflection. Yeah. Why am I so angry? Why am I so frustrated? And I, and you know, part of the reason was, and I, I really enjoyed working with the guys at my first group. There was, there was a lot of them, a variety of different practice styles. I learned from everybody. I was essentially the internal locums guy. I was covering for people when they were on vacation. So every week I was at a different location and which was great for the first, you know, one to two years because I right. learned, I learned very valuable things from that. I learned to be flexible. I learned to be resourceful and I learned how to like get out of tricky because I was, you know, 95% of the time I was by myself. Yeah. So I kind of learned how to get out of sticky situations on my own. It wasn't like in a, a, a group where, you know, you have three or four docs in the same location and you can call somebody for help yeah. real quick. And so those were great skills to learn. And it wasn't until I went to a, like a, one of these master courses, it was like a Medtronic course. And I listened to this doc talk about, he had uh, gone off on his own and, and started his own independent practice and he had his own clinic and everything. And I re and it clicked and I was like, that's what I want. I want autonomy. I want, were you telling me this? Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to do something on my own, build my own practice. I'd been so used to just covering for people that I didn't have patient follow-up. I didn't have good relationship with referring docs because I was, I, I might be there, you know, for a week and then I'm not there for another two months. No, and that's so it. It's, it's hard to develop those relationships. And so, you know, it took, like I said, four years for me to realize, right, yeah, three and a half years to realize that. And then I started working towards, okay, what's the next step? What, what are the options? And, you know, and I did end up going off on my own, but yeah, that, that I think is the heart, the first step in like, you're, you know, identifying why you're so frustrated. And then once you identify that, okay, what can I learn here? while I, while I'm still here yeah. that I can take to my next job. You know, you know, if I know that, okay, I'm going to, you know, I, it's funny you mentioned OBLs because at one point I was trying to recruit you down here yeah. to, to work with me. And, you know, I, I it was, it's kind of like one of those things where, and you did this at Penn, you know, you're like, I know that I'm going to, I want to do kyphoplasties in my next job. I'm going to learn those. So I have that skill set going into my next job. And those are the kinds of things I think that are helpful to help the, to make the time that you have left at, in that group or in that practice that, you know, to, to make that happen in your next yeah. job. And then networking. I think networking is, is key internally yeah. and externally is getting to know those referring docs, whether or not, you know, you're not planning to steal referrals away, but just so that you know how to talk to referring docs, because a lot of times in your next job, you got to, like you said, you got to start at ground zero. So right. you got to know how to build something from scratch. And so you want to at least practice calling docs up after every case, visiting docs to check in and, you know, you know, let, you know, ask them about a patient, those kind of skill sets we don't get in training a lot of times. And so you kind of have to de develop them on your own. And so I think that that sort of networking and also just with your own peers, you don't want to burn any bridges. 
you no, want to stay friends, you know, yeah, you want to be able to still reach out to those guys that you worked with if you get in a trick, sticky situation and you, you want I still to, talk you know. to them all the time. Like I, yeah. I love the guys of old group and look, I mean, it's not to say that there's uh, not a scenario in the future where I can find myself back there. Like I, I think that maintaining those relationships is critical. You never know what's going to happen. You know, I still talk to a few of them. I'll you know bounce ideas off of them, but I think networking in general, like I, I think that that has been one of the things that I have, have done best since training in terms of, you know, preparing for job searches and things like that is that I just built and maintained a big network and I've been able to rely on that, you know, at different stages of my career. I mean, that, that's how I was able to ultimately get those like job offers when I was still a resident and which was just a lot of that was just through people I'd met on the way. And, and, and that's one of the, I think the most important things that, you know, you don't get taught, but you, you got to do that. I mean, the network is key and you never know when you're going to use it. Yeah. And clearly being a back table host has helped you network. Certainly in a few ways. Um, but uh, the, the learning those skills. So I, I was able to do that again once I, you know, I decided to, to take this job and I, I asked the guys there, I, like, I, I need to get a better idea of what you guys are doing to see if there's anything that I'm not in order to, to plan ahead. And like, yeah, we do stroke and you're going to have to get credentialed in that. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I've never even seen one of those. And so <laughs> I just... I reached out to a few of the neurosurgeons in town that were doing, I was like, can I just like take call with you? And if you get a case, just call me. And, and so that worked like I, you know, if I had downtime during the day and they had a stroke thrown back to me, they would call me and I'd, I'd go and watch them. And, you know, I, I learned a lot of it. It actually helped me, you know, with credentialing, just having a certain number of observed cases, like I had to do some first, but you know, that was really useful. Yeah. And, um, I did want to take a, a quick step back to when, you know, and this is more kind of directed at the trainees who right now might be looking for jobs. I don't know what the current job situation is, you know, with COVID. I imagine it's, I, it's probably very similar to a recession, right? It's tight. And, and when Robbie and I came out, I don't, I don't want to call it a recession, but it was, it was around 2012. So it was kind of in that time. And, and the, and the jobs were not, they were slim. They were, yeah. they were very slim. And, uh, you know, I know Robbie was interviewing as many places as he could. I was cold calling groups in Dallas because there were no job postings. The yeah. reason why I was coming to Dallas was because my wife was doing her fellowship at Dallas Children's. And so, you know, we had a young child and I was like, I don't want to be a, a year apart. I, I did interview at some yeah. jobs in, in Florida just because I wanted to get some interviews under my belt. And then, you know, finally I got a reply from, you know, the the group that I went with here in Dallas. but there was nothing else in Dallas. And the group that I went with told me, they said, look, we don't even need an IR right now, but if you can read diagnostic for us for six months, we could probably use you down the line. They're like, we don't have a partnership track because of the economy. They, there was all these, you know, they, everybody right. had tightened up financially. And so, so one thing I read about in that article in the Wall Street Journal was there's, you know, fellows and residents that begin work in a in a time of recession can face these limited opportunities. And as a result, you might end up in a job that is a bad fit, right? right? Either because the role doesn't use your skills, like in your case, or, you know, something, you know, it's not something that you want to pursue for the long term. And not to say that, I mean, I still, and, you know, and I, just to let everybody know, I actually went back to my original group and, I, and I'm doing essentially the same thing for them that I did before covering certain locations just on a part-time basis now, 
because I, because I like the group, I like the people in it. It's just for, you know, at that time when I was really, you know, craving autonomy, I just didn't, I didn't have it at that time. And now I have, you know, the autonomy that I was looking for. And so it works out, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of let those guys know right now, Hey, if you got, if it's slim pickings, it's okay. Just do your due diligence, try and get as many interviews as you can. Don't pigeonhole yourself. And then don't, you know, once you started, don't immediately assume that it's not the right job. Just after, you know, that's a great point. You have to take a few months to adjust. I'll be honest, after four weeks, I was already looking for new jobs. Yeah. um, Because I was, because they had me doing diagnostic shifts and I was just like, this isn't what I trained to do. Where's all the angiograms? Like I wanted to be, you know, doing the same thing, the same high-end IR stuff I was doing at Vanderbilt, but I didn't have, you know, I didn't feel like I didn't have the opportunity. And so it was a little bit depressing at first. Did you go through anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. All the time. <laughs> but, but before, before I get back to that, you, you brought up like three different points that I, that I want to touch on. You know, one is you have to spend a certain amount of time there. That is, that's big. I mean, I, same thing. Like after, after like a couple months of my job, I'm like, this, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like right. I thought it was going to, I thought it was going to be much more glamorous. And so, you know, I started looking very early on, but you know, it, it took a while until I felt like I really got a good handle on it. And in fact, when, when I left my old group, you know, I, I talked to a lot of the guys about it. Like, you know, I've, I've got a lot of good friends in that group. And, and one of the guys that I really respected, who is, he's probably, you know, in his 50s, 60s, he told me, you know, he's like, look, give it at least a year with your new job. Don't leave, you know, anytime before then. He's like, I think it takes at least a year until you really know what it's like. And, and I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and I mean, you're not going to love every single thing, right? It might be, no. you know, it might be that they they put you at a hospital the first, you know, two or three months where you just, for whatever reason, don't click with the staff. You don't click with the referring docs. And and I saw this at my old group where they shuffled people around until they found a good fit. And I think that that's smart to do because it's just, yeah, I mean, some people, you know, you know, and I, myself included, just weren't happy at working at a certain hospital, but other hospitals I loved working at, you know, and a lot of time it's yeah. just the personnel. Another point is that the right job for you is not necessarily the right job for someone else. And yeah. I don't think you can take somebody else's opinion on whether a job is going to be good and expect that to be binding. You know, I, one of the things that I struggled with it in looking for jobs was like, you know, you, everybody is very vocal about what interventional radiologists and other endovascular specialists, of course, need to be doing in their jobs. Like you need to be doing this, this, and this. If you're not, you're not a real interventional radiologist. And, and, and to some degree that, that kind of tainted how I looked at certain jobs. And, but, you know, you really need to take the job that is right for you and it's not going to be the same for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Agree? No. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, as long as it's not a toxic environment, I would yeah. stick it out nine to 12 months, you know, like you said, up to a year. If it, if it's still, I mean, we, you and I know, you know, I have mutual friends who bounced around the first, you know, three or four years, you know, but I, I'm pretty sure they gave it a year every time and eventually they found the perfect fit, you know? Yeah. And it's it may tough. not always be perfect, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to have some things that you compromise on. And I certainly did with, with my first job and, and my current one, but you know, you, you, you find over the years that the, the major things for you, 
you know, what are the big ones? And, and I've got this now, even my wife noticed She's like, you don't complain about work anymore. She's like, yeah. you know, the wife test. Works. But one more thing that I do want to say is, is, you know, I think we should maybe talk about, you know, because it is a tight market. I've talked to some guys uh, that are looking now, like, what, what would you do if, if you're having a hard time finding the right job? And I think for me, if, if I haven't found anything that it looks like, you know, something I would want to stay in for long-term either, you know, something I'd, I'd want to do a full partnership track with, or, you know, for one reason or another, I'm very skeptical that it's going to be a good long-term fit. I think for me, I would, I would start thinking about like, what would give me the best bang for my buck for a year or two if I needed it? And there are certain types of jobs that I think fit that bill better than others. Actually, some of these employee positions, you know, there was one in Nashville that they didn't really do a partnership track and they started, they started, uh, new doctors out making, you know, a lot more money than I would have in a partnership track. But another one that, you know, if I were to go back and do it again, and, and I knew that I probably wasn't going to last long-term in my first job, I would be looking at academics for sure. You know, it's, you know, you're, you're going to be, and who knows, you, you may fall in love with it and stay there for good, but you're essentially getting like uh, more high-end training uh, yeah. and you're getting paid at a higher level for it. I mean, you're just going to keep getting better watching, you know, watching this be done at the highest level. What about yeah. you? No, I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, it, I see that happen here at UT Southwestern with local guys. They stay on for another year or two and they, you know, they really appreciate that extra, you know, it's like you said, it's like another couple of years of post-grad training that may just helps them feel, you know, more confident. And I, you know, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm kind of jealous of that because totally it's a collegial atmosphere. As long as it's, you know, a great atmosphere. If you really enjoyed your fellowship year, chances are you're going to like, you know, being a junior, you know, faculty, you know, Murray did that. And, you know, I think he was all the better for it. He was one of my mentors at Vanderbilt. And so I do think that there's a huge upside to that. You may not make as much money as you would in private practice, but you're going to get a lot more confident in your, in your skills before you, if you're planning on going to private practice. And if you're going to go to a job that's a partnership track, that, that difference in salary is not going to be that great. Okay. You know, I mean, you're, you're not going to be starting it at a high end salary anyway. Right. Right. Well, Michael, my computer is about to die. So we're going to wrap it up there because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get my microphone. Michael, thank you so much for, you yeah, know, this fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll be, uh, to our, to our audience, we're going to be doing more of these video podcasts amongst the hosts and, you know, also bring some guests on along the way, but. If you, if you like them, please click subscribe on our YouTube channel and also, you know, leave us a review, hit the like button. We appreciate those, the, the feedback. And Hey, for you guys out there who are looking for jobs or just, you know, have questions about this. If you want to talk about it, reach out to us. We have yeah. both had a lot of experience in dealing with this and looking at a lot of different options. And I, I think we've got at least some decent perspective from it. So let us know how we can help for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. All right. All right, bye.